turning again to the scripture, Luke and chapter 2 and verse 41. Speaking of Jesus, we read, Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. So at the end of 2017, like it or not, we are all another year older. The process of ageing is both inevitable and irreversible. And the further down the road you get, the more unwelcome it seems to become. At the end of his account of Jesus' adventure as a young boy in Jerusalem, when he skipped the journey home to engage in learned debates with the teachers of the law in the temple, Luke tells us that Jesus went home to Nazareth with his parents and was the model of good behaviour, growing not just in stature, but also in wisdom and in favour or grace with both God and other people. So he did not just grow physically, He grew in emotional maturity as well. A good number of us listening to this sermon peaked physically a while ago. And we might feel as if we've been heading downhill for a little bit now. But the potential for continuing growth in wisdom and in grace is still there. We need not have peaked in that respect if we set our hearts and our minds on it. Wisdom doesn't come automatically and it doesn't come by accident. We need to be intentional about acquiring it. None of us knows what curved balls 2018 will throw our way. Some of us are fervently hoping that the coming year will be a smoother ride than 2017 proved to be. Yet if 2017 was a difficult year, with perhaps more than its fair share of setbacks and adversity, the question to ponder is, so how did we handle that? How did I cope with it? How did I respond to it? How has it affected me?
Because it is in the process of negotiating the tough times that we develop wisdom. The tough times are God's training course. No one needs wisdom to navigate an easy ride. It's only when things go wrong that we have the opportunity to learn how to be wise through them. A wise person has the capacity to find a good path through bad experiences and come out the other end a better person as a result. None of us has any control over everything that happens to us or everything that happens around us. But if we have wisdom, we won't simply be pushed around by the random events that befall us. But we will look for appropriate ways of responding to the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Who we are can be determined simply by what happens to us. Or who we are can be determined by how we respond to what happens to us. And wisdom is the factor that makes the difference there. Wisdom finds the right response. None of us is born wise. In fact, wisdom is the gift of God and we're told to ask for it in prayer. And none of us, even in this congregation here tonight, none of us is in the position of being able to say that we are now so wise, we don't need to ask God for help in that department anymore. Because part of wisdom is knowing your own limitations. A wise person will always know the limits of their wisdom and will always be asking God to deepen and expand the wisdom that they have. Part of wisdom is knowing that growing in wisdom needs to be a lifelong process. Jesus started young, but it's never too late to begin the journey towards wisdom and maturity. So as the years went by, he grew in wisdom and he grew in favour with God and other people. Or a more literal translation would be he grew in grace with God and other people. And there's no contradiction between those understandings of the term favour, grace, because grace is a very rich word. One definition of grace is it's the condition or fact of being favoured by somebody else. So God showed Jesus favour gave him grace. And as he did so, Jesus found favour in the eyes of others. But another another definition of grace is courteous goodwill. We deal with each other in grace. And if Jesus consistently showed that kind of grace in his interactions with others, if he found grace with them because he dealt with them courteously and in goodwill, that will be why and how he found favour in their eyes. But the grace of God can also mean God's help or kindness towards us. And sinful people that we are, we often need God's grace to help us to show grace to those around us. Jesus embodied the grace of God inasmuch as he extended the goodness of God, the favour of God, the acceptance and the forgiveness of God into the lives of those he met. And that's our calling as well. As we receive grace, to pass that grace on, to to show to others the goodness that we receive, the favour of God that we receive, the forgiveness and acceptance of God that we receive, to bring that into the lives of those around us too. 
We are called, as the years go by, to grow in grace with God and with other people. And because unlike Jesus, we are sinful human beings, it's by the grace of God that we find forgiveness when we get it wrong. And we are called to extend that same grace to those around us when they get it wrong, as they do from time to time. And that can be really difficult sometimes. And we need the enabling grace of God to help us treat others as we should if they upset us or treat us badly. God gives us the grace we need to help us to do the right thing for those who are doing the wrong thing. God's grace towards us enables us to show grace to other people. Because like Jesus, we are called to embody the grace of God. That means forgiving others, as we ourselves have been forgiven. Forgiving them when they get it wrong, as we are forgiven when we get it wrong. And showing grace in terms of helping others to get it right, as we ourselves have been helped to get it right by God. We as a church are called to be a community of grace. And that only happens when each and every one of us seeks to grow in grace with God and with other people. God wants us to make that a priority in our own lives because it is his priority for us. Nothing matters to God more than our relationships with each other and with him. That's a sobering thought. Nothing matters to God more than our relationships with each other and with him. Because the first and greatest commandment is we love him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And the second is that we love our neighbour as ourselves. Those are God's priorities for us. When he made us in his image, he made us with the capacity to form relationships of love and trust with each other. That's what being made in the image of God means. And it's because relationships are so important that Jesus emphasised the importance of forgiveness because without forgiveness, every relationship is doomed. So it's a sobering thought to realise that our relationships matter more to God than our successes, our achievements, our work, our ambitions. And because we're sinful people and we're all surrounded by sinful people, none of us ever reaches the point where we can turn around to God and say, thank you, I don't need any more grace. I've got this one sorted. I've reached the level now where I can manage all my relationships perfectly well without your help. Left to our own devices, we instinctively veer towards exonerating ourselves and blaming others when things go wrong. At least I do. The far harder path which Christ calls us to follow is the path of forgiving others when it's their fault and accepting responsibility when it's our fault. By instinct, we're creatures of blame. Some of us leap to place the blame on somebody else when something goes wrong. Others of us pile the blame on ourselves and end up being stricken by guilt as a result. But Jesus... Jesus steps in and takes the blame on himself. Doesn't rest on my shoulders. Doesn't rest on yours. But on his. He takes it all. 
And whatever part I've played when things have gone wrong, I need to admit that, repent of it, and accept forgiveness for it. And whatever part you've played, I need to forgive you for that, or at least ask God for the grace to begin to be able to forgive you for that. But there's an important difference between my sin and your sin. Because when I sin, the path to my forgiveness lies through me taking responsibility for what I've done and repenting of what I've done. For my own sin, my own repentance necessarily precedes forgiveness. But for your sin, grace calls me to take the initiative in forgiving perhaps before you've taken steps of repentance yourself. To stand aloof and demand your repentance before I'm prepared to forgive you is not to walk the path of grace. And nor does the path of grace mean that I allow you to treat me as a doormat. If I choose the path of grace, that doesn't mean I adopt the role of a passive victim and allow you to step into the role of a willful abuser. Grace is about mending good relationships, not perpetuating destructive ones. Brings us back again to the need for wisdom, to know how to to respond with grace to the things that happen to us and the sins that we and other people commit. So growth in wisdom, growth in grace. These are on God's agenda for you in 2018. They're part of his script. Are they on your agenda? To what extent do your plans, ambitions, hopes, desires for the coming year correspond to God's agenda for you? Don't worry, he's not asking you to scrap all your plans. After all, what would 2018 look like for you if your sole purpose was to grow in grace and wisdom? How would you set about doing that? But these things are on God's agenda for you. Growth in wisdom. Growth in grace. Recognise that. Be aware of it. So that as you pursue your own agenda, as you work out your own salvation, as you figure out what this year brings and what you should be doing in it, you are aware of how God wants to work in your life through what you do. It's all part of trying to make sure that whatever we do, we do in his name and for his sake. And to some extent, it's not about what we do so much as how we do it. Lord, give me the wisdom that I need to show grace in all my dealings with other people, whoever I meet and whatever I end up doing this year. So as the clock ticks down towards the end of 2017, are you ready? Are you ready for next year and whatever it might bring? Are you set for 2018? And before the clock goes past midnight and we all wish each other a happy new year, let me ask you, are there things in your heart and in your life that would be better left in 2017 and not carried forward into 2018? Things that have burdened you, weighed you down, preoccupied you, 
negative outlooks that have tainted and spoiled so much of what otherwise might have been good in this closing year. Luke says of Mary, Jesus' mother, that she treasured all these things, all these words in her heart. Everything that happened to Jesus, she stored it up inside her. What things, what words have you stored up inside you in this past year? What have you taken to heart? Are they things that will help you grow in wisdom and in grace in the coming year? Or are there memories of things done or said that are festering somewhere? What are you nursing in your heart at the end of this year? What's growing there? Is it grace? Is it wisdom? Or is it something that might stunt your emotional and spiritual development? If so, then the last day of the year is a good time to ask God to heal you of it or release you from it. If it's, something that, if it's something that has absorbed your attention, sapped your emotional resources, put your relationships with others under strain or drained your capacity for goodness, God invites you to put it down tonight. To ask him to release you from its hold so that you can leave it at the threshold of the coming year and move on without it holding you back or dragging you down. So we're going to spend a couple of moments in quiet. Let me invite you just to open your heart to the Holy Spirit. What's been stored there? What's been tucked away? What's been buried there? Root out the weeds and plant in place your goodness. We'll have a couple of minutes quiet and then I'll lead us in prayer. Lord, thank you for new opportunities and new beginnings. We know that a new year does not make us new people. If we've carried with us attitudes and ways that would be better left behind, Lord, forgive us. Release us from their hold over our hearts and our minds. Lord, would you cleanse me? Renew me. Fill me with your spirit. Your wisdom your grace. Fill my, the storeroom of my heart with good things that I can draw on and produce as the need arises in this coming year. Help me to get my priorities right.
Help us to see this year as your gift to us. And carry into it the joy of resurrection. The peace of self-giving. The love that gives and forgives. And liberate us into delighting in this new year as a child to the delights in everything that is new. Help us to revel in it. Absorb it. For it is 2018. A brand new year that you have made. Which is your gift to us. And which you are looking forward to sharing with us. Help us to walk in the knowledge of your presence at every stage. In Jesus' name, amen.